What does it take to make workshops work? And how can we facilitate collaboration that sticks and leads to results? My name is Miriam Hapness, and with the Workshops Work podcast, I'm on the mission to find the magic ingredients that make workshops work. Today with me on the show is Lorenz Sell, and we speak about the L word, love, and learning, and how to create a platform to enable both. So stay tuned. And by the way, if you don't have pen and paper at hand to take your own notes, scroll down to the show notes to download my free one-page summary. And now, enjoy. Lorenz, welcome to the show. Hi, Miriam. It's so good to be here with you. Yes, I am looking forward to speaking about learning and community and what one has to do with the other <laughs> and how to facilitate that and whatever else will emerge. Some of my favorite subjects. Yay. And before getting there, I always start with the same question. When did you start calling yourself a facilitator and actually do you? Mm. That's such a good question because I've been thinking about that, you know, recently, like before you, before you've asked me this question of like, oh, being a facilitator and kind of like recognizing myself as a facilitator. And, you know, I, I think for a long time, for me, a facilitator was somebody who studied to be a facilitator as like a, a, a profession. And it wasn't something, you know, whenever, you know, as recently as like four, three, four years ago, whenever... I would run a larger group event, I'd think, oh, we need to find a facilitator. And I didn't really realize that what I'd been doing for, you know, over 10 years now, just bringing people together, guiding discussions, you know, we started, my wife and I started bringing people together in, in meetups, like meetup.com, mm -hmm. we'd host meetups in our living room in 2011, 2012. And, you know, when, so we'd have like 20, 30 people come over and, and what we'd do would be like navigate the discussion. And it took me a long time to kind of realize that the skill set that I learned doing that intuitively was a big part of, you know, what I'm doing now and kind of connect those dots. And, you know, as this thing called a facilitator, And I don't know, you know, I guess now I, I kind of accept the label, like, sure, yeah, this is facilitation. That's what I do and even teach a course about it. I don't know if it's an identity that I'm like, oh, I'm a facilitator, even like a term like space holder. I don't know. If for, for, I guess. And I think that really speaks to something deeper for me as well, which is that I think a big part of this work for me is about like a, a natural human function. You know, that this mm -hmm. is that this is I, I also don't like the term facilitator so much because It can create this idea for people that, you know, you need a certification. And, that, and I really don't want to say that and detract from people who do have that certification because it is a very specific and powerful skill set. But I think it's also that, in a way, every person is a facilitator. You know, if in your, in your family, with your, you know, bringing any group of people together in, in, in work, if you're, you know, in any sort of collaborative situation and this capacity to like feel people and, and navigate a space and be sensitive to what's in that space and, and present to what's there for you, that's facilitation. And I think it's a critical human function, you know, in, in everyday, in, in everyday life. And, and so I, I think that's also a big part of what I try to weave into The work that we share is this idea that yeah, you, you don't need to be a facilitator to be a facilitator, <laughs> if that makes sense. Makes total sense. And I have similar struggles. So 
when I first put the label facilitator, I learned what a facilitator is. And I'm like, oh, that's me. That's what I do. So I kind of put the label on my forehead with kind of pride. And now I struggle with it because there's so much more. And for me, facilitation now is almost almost like a mindset hmm. of um, listening, being present, holding space, guiding through curiosity and these kind of things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and those, those for me, those are a big part of being human, you know, mm -hmm. that, that's like a really critical human capacity. Beautiful. What have you learned from these early days meetups about facilitation? <laughs> Everything. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's funny how things like the journey that life takes you on, you, you know, like, so I had this big, like, mystical experience about 10, 11 years ago that really changed my life. And it really set the path for where I am now. You know, it's like, like, it's hard to explain like these things. But but the gist of it is, is, you know, I had a visceral experience of peace. And it really shifted my life in terms of, like, I had a visceral experience of world peace. And it really shifted my life in terms of, like, being in service of that. Like, and asking, like, what is that? What does it mean? How, how you know, what what does, how, how, how do you be in service of peace? And... And, and then it kind of emerged also this inquiry around, you know, what does it mean to bring more love into the world? And so, I, for a long time, I was really like, I remember right around that time, I went and asked my yoga teacher, I was like, what is love? And he was like, uh, that's like asking, what is God? And I was like, oh, really? And, and so, it kind of, and so, I started kind of really getting into this idea of love as a philosophy for life. And, and what does it mean to be able to, you know, when confronted with any situation or choice, to, to be able to use this idea of like an, a love as a lens, an inquiry into that choice. And that's what uh, the, the meetup was. So, the meetup was called the Wisdom of Love. And we would invite people over, random people like over meetups, like total strangers with a different kind of inquiry around like, for example, love through the lens of like social justice and or love through the lens of like uh, like entrepreneurship or, you know, like different kind of different topics and, and have like a rich just dialogue around that. And so, usually it would be anywhere from like five to 15 people that would that would come over. And so, you know, the, the challenge was you, you have like a bunch of totally random people sitting around in your living room. And of course, there's the natural awkwardness. There's, you know, you, you, you kind of like... <laughs> and, and for me, the challenge is like, how, how do you get the discussion going like how do you get people to share meaningful vulnerable insightful how do you get people to get deep into the discussion and have a conversation about love from a, like a as a philosophy you know not at a shallow level but a deep level and you know i i find it was like a two three hour thing and it was always similar in in, in terms of people start crickets kind of quiet a few people share and then by the end of it you know you can't stop people talking like people are super active and open and so, what's funny here, this is like a couple of things that's funny is one is I would have never imagined that, you know, 10 years later, what we do today is like a scaled version of that. You know, what we really realized on our journey, which was kind of all about how do you bring more love into the world? How do you bring more connection? And this, we're realizing at some point, several years after that, that the way that people feel connected is through small groups. And then, you know, what, how do you kind of scale that? And, and then so a lot of what we do now is, is kind of like showing people how, how to 
take some of those principles of creating deep conversation and weaving it into, you know, the context of learning. And, and so it's really kind of amazing for me to see how that journey happened to me. And I would have never imagined, I would have never imagined that, that I come full circle and here I am. And that I feel like one of the biggest blessings of that is this having this deeply kind of embedded understanding like in my body like of of how to do this just from doing it and yeah and then that's that's become such a big part of my my, my work now so so I, I guess i i really learned a lot from it and now a lot of the journey is understanding what i learned in a way like deconstructing mm. it <laughs> it's so funny it, it resonates with me a lot because i started my business if i I cannot even call it a business, also with meetups. And I call them idea parties. Mm. And basically, I'm still doing the same. <laughs> but in this gate, a different version, one part is called a mastermind. And the other one is the never done before community where mm. everyone just brings ideas and challenges and we brainstorm about it. And from your story, I have two curiosities emerging. One is how you nurture or nourish the topic of love in a more maybe professional context because it seems as if someone recently called it the l word that you're not allowed to use <laughs> in the professional context mm -hmm. so how do you do that and maybe reflecting back thinking of this group of strangers who came to your living room with the intention to share something vulnerable and still the hesitation in the beginning, because once you're there in the physical space together, you realize how daring it actually is. So what were the tools you were intuitively using back then mm. to make them open up and then get the conversation running? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I'll start with the L word. It's interesting. I have a couple of responses to that. You know, one is that I think it's surprising how using that word, how bringing that into an unexpected context, particularly today, can be quite powerful. Because I feel like, I don't know if this would have been true 20 years ago. I really have no idea. But I feel like today, when you say something like, you know, like for us, like we often share that our mission is to bring more love and connection into the world. It kind of like almost creates a relaxation in space. People get curious, you know, and I guess that that's that's also maybe it really depends on the de delivery of that. Like if you show up and you're super woo, -woo then then maybe then it's like oh my god, you know. But if you show up and you're and, and you like you're grounded, and and it's I guess it's so much about your relationship to what you're doing. Mm. And and this brings me to the second point, which is I've also realized from going from this journey of like wisdom of love as like teaching love explicitly is something you can talk about to really an understanding that I think the experience of love is presence, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and that you don't need to talk about love. In, in fact, it's kind of like we started with this term facilitator, you know, when you, when you put a label on something, it makes it a thing. And, but the, the reality is that that thing has particular universal attributes, right? Like being a facilitator, you know, attributes of, of holding space, listening, sensing, really being with the person and love, very, very similar, you know, I'd say almost identical, you know, becoming present to what's there for you, becoming present to what's another there for another person, 
developing a capacity to really hold space for that, you know, so noticing if something's coming up for you, having the courage to speak about that, you know, especially if it maybe is triggering in a way that isn't confrontational or having the capacity or skillfulness to navigate that territory to create more connection. That, that is love. You know, that is love. And, you know, I think that when you're, when you're talking about a professional context, bringing those experiences together, bringing, weaving that as an experience in between people to create that experience of, of deeper levels of presence creates the experience of love. And you don't need to label it anymore because people will experience that deep connection. And what emerges out of that for me is love. Thank you. A thought that just crossed my mind is that speaking about love I almost have the impression that we're taking judgment out because nobody can, there's no universal definition of love. You cannot tell how this is supposed to feel or mm. what it's supposed to be. And it's something that you cannot force. Mm -hmm. and therefore, the connection to God from your yoga teacher makes total sense to me is You cannot decide to believe in God as little as you can decide to love. It's something that happens to you and that's totally out of your control. <laughs> and hence, it's so deeply personal that you either speak about it on a philosophical level or you speak about your own experiences, but there's no judgment by definition. Mm -hmm. Or if there is then there's an awareness of that judgment because I, I think, right, it's so, it's so human to judge. And I think, you know, this is a, also, I mean, yeah, again, like you said, it's, it's, it's so unique for everybody. And, and for me, it's, I think the, the essence of it is like awareness and acceptance, you know, awareness and acceptance. Like I'm a human being, I'm going to have judgment. I'm going to have, I'm going to be defensive. Like these are, these are all things that are going to come up for me. And And a, and a big part of that journey is just recognizing that for myself. And I think that's a big part of, you know, a facilitator's function is noticing all these things that are coming up. And that really start, you know, noticing all the things that come up and coming up in a space. But, but it really, I think it really starts with ground zero, noticing all the things that are coming up for you and holding, being able to hold a space for that. And, and one of the things, of course, that comes up for every person is judgment. And holding a space for that, you know, with, with a lot of love, you know, yeah. And, and then, and then what do you do with that? And I think that's where things get mm. really interesting is how do you navigate that with appropriateness and skillfulness? So in this space, what, what is appropriate and what isn't? That's the question, right? <laughs> I, I, I think like, it, it sounds so simple, but I, I think it's a huge question, you know, because And, and it really like lands in, in, in our humanity, right? Because things come up for you and, and particularly in challenging situations, what is appropriate, you, you know? And, 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 and I mean, of course, it's so depending on context because it, it very much depends on how your role in, as a facilitator is your role entirely neutral so that what comes up for you, you're, you're kind of, it's, it's, there's less room for that or are you an active participant so that what comes up for you does have a place. I mean, no matter what, what comes up for you is, is present in a way, but, but what is appropriate and knowing how to weave that into a situation or a circumstance. I think that's the heart of this kind of, of, of having a relationship with space and mm -hmm. having a relationship with space. And I also feel like 
<laughs> it's not something that you can learn in a book. It's something that you learn with practice, with prototyping. You call it testing. You're, you had your testable. And for me, I have a very similar orientation, but I call it prototyping. And for me, everything is a prototype. You know, like every conversation can be a prototype, an opportunity to try something, to, to say something in a different way. And particularly every group experience is a learning experience, an opportunity to practice. And I really think about that. All, all the time is that that's how I develop my understanding of what's appropriate is is by trying new things in different situations to see how people respond and then if if the response isn't what I hope you know sometimes something quote unquote challenging will happen you know like and I'll make a mistake and I can either get in my head about it and be like oh my god I'm I'm the worst I don't know what I'm doing sometimes I'll do that of course but I always like recover from that by asking myself, like, what am I learning here? And, and, and sometimes if I have the foresight before I try something different, be like, okay, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to try this and I'm going to see what happens and I'm going to learn from that. And that, I guess that kind of is how I figure out what's appropriate. <laughs> I like that, which brings us back to the mindset thing, mm. right? If you, if you have the prototyping mindset, um, then it's easier to just try and give it a go and learn as you advance. And I like the concept of um, love being more about humanity or the awareness of shared humanity. Mm. And this almost makes it sound more appropriate to be also a topic that must be addressed in the professional context. Mm. I think especially in times like these where the world is collectively going from one crisis to the next to raise the awareness that we're in this together. Mm -hmm. Although in different ships. Yeah. I mean, this is such a rich topic, you know, because I think a, a, a big aspect of also what's happening in the world is, is related to tolerance, mm -hmm. you know, and I think tolerance, the capacity for tolerance really is very closely related to our, our self-awareness and our self-acceptance. You know, like our, I, I feel like, you know, when you, when you have a deep relationship to yourself, to your own humanity, to your own imperfections, to, you know, all, all those aspects of yourself that are challenging. And when you, when you really kind of have a relationship to that and you're present to it, I think it makes it much easier to be tolerant of other people as they are, you know, of the things, their quirks and idiosyncrasies. I think that's a big part of love. 100%. I tend to believe that we're most intolerant towards those who trigger, who are almost a mirror to our dark sides and our shadows. Mm. And I, it's like telling an adolescent what they are supposed to do or giving them orders. And then they feel judged for not being adult enough. You're treating me like a child which wouldn't happen if we're already adults. So it's their insecurity that gets triggered and hence they fight back. Or if I see someone acting rude, in my perception rude, maybe it I'm intolerant because it triggers my sense of or my insecurities of maybe being more outspoken or taking more space and not daring. So I think the more we react, the more intolerant we are, the more it actually tells us about ourselves than about others. And you use the word there that has been a big part of my exploration, which is insecurity. Mm. 
You know, this is, I feel like so much of becoming human, really, I guess, you know, I'm rephrase that maybe really connecting with your own humanity is connecting with your insecurities, the depth of your insecurities, you know, and that's, that's been a big journey for me. I'd say that's a big journey of, you know, and I'll, I'll explain it maybe in the sim- one of the simplest ways. My mind can be very busy and I meditate a lot. You know, I meditate two hours a day. And a big part of that is what I find is at some point in my meditation, I'll connect with some sort of deep-rooted insecurity. And, and when I can connect with that viscerally, like in, in an embodied way in my body and just really be with it, everything else calms down. My, my mind finally calms down. And so I really noticed this topic of, of, of insecurity is, is a big part of um, becoming present to it. You know, somehow just noticing it is a big part of a capacity to hold space. A big part of, you know, like you said about the triggering is that if somebody's really rude to me and I get activated, well, what is it that's triggering me? Most likely I'm somehow not getting validated. There's, there's an insecurity there that is being like touched that I don't want. You know, this person isn't seeing me the way I want to be seen, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> How dare they, you know, but what's there is, 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 a, is, a, is an underlying insecurity. And there's nothing, I think the key to understand is that there's nothing wrong with that, right? And, and, and really it's very natural. It's very human. And that's, that's a big part of the tolerance is, coming in touch with the most uncomfortable parts of yourself that that if you can really reconcile them and integrate them and be okay with them, it creates so much capacity to be with others as they are. Yes. And that's why I think it's so important to avoid so magic to enable these open conversations, these vulnerable conversations where mm-hmm. we can share our insecurities. Because I think the, we all have them, right? I mean, mm. that's part of being human. There is no human being who doesn't overthink on some issues of not being good enough or being an imposter or any of those. And I think the best way to heal or to accept is to recognize this human aspect that we all have it. So I think in a in a shared learning space or experience space to create the opportunity for participants to see, recognize that we all have them and that I actually don't care about your insecurities. I mean, I might even find that funny because I don't see them at all because obviously I see you in a different way than I see myself and you see yourself. Thereby maybe even approaching them with humor. And, I, I, you know, and what you talk about is, is really at the heart of the process that we work with, which is, which is a, a conversational process around really inviting people to share authentically. You know, I mean, you asked me a while back, we, we kind of skipped the question about, you know, how do you create this conversational space in, in the meetup? And I think it's very, very similar to how we do it now in, in any learning experience, which is, really this idea of what we call warming up the space. And even this, you know, I think this is really interesting, you know, even this concept of, of space, we use this where, especially if you've been, you know, people who do a lot of facilitation is like, we talk about this thing of a container or a space. And every once in a while, somebody will be like, what do you mean when you say that? <laughs> <laughs> and I, it's like such an interesting question. And, and I, I, I think, and so I, I've really been thinking about this. And so in, in a way, there's probably all sorts of technical definitions for it. But I think what's really interesting for me is that there's an aspect of what we call space 
that is beyond definition, you know, particularly in a group space like a container. There's an aspect of that that is beyond what you can define in a way that really conveys what it is, right? And, and that's because for me, one of my definitions of space, that a space is in a way the sum of how people feel in that space. Mm. And the way that that happens is through the modeling of the participants. So in that you as a space holder, you can kind of like initiate it. You can kind of plant it. You can, you might be the very first person to model it in a way. Right. And, but then it, it has to be established by the participants in the space to model it for each other so that it becomes that space. Right. So it becomes a space where, because what makes the space, what it is, is how people show up in the space. Right. What makes it, what it is, is how mm. people show up. It's not something you say it's, it's how people show up. And then that is what it is. And, and that is a function of how they feel. Right. And that's a function of how, how kind of how everybody is feeling there. And so, it, you know, tying it back to what we just talked about is the way that that is created is, is an iterative process of the sharing, you know, and, and through that sharing, the, the reflection, the permission that it gives other people to share from an intimate, vulnerable, authentic place. And then, and then that space gets created into, into what it is. And I think that this aspect of, you know, authenticity and, and space is relevant in any context. It doesn't have to be an experience that's about intimacy. It doesn't have to be an experience that's about meditation. You know, it, it could be experience that's, that's about collaboration or, you know, learning about some very specific subject, but really inviting a deep quality of authenticity and presence and in a way where people have like a relationship to the subject and they're sharing their, you know, from that authentic relationship. And then other people are able to, to see something reflected in that sharing and kind of contribute to that experience. And then, it, and then it becomes a completely different kind of learning or collaboration experience. Mm. I love your definition of space. Yes. Thank you. And I almost think that we can only create, and I be curious to hear about your experience, this learning space, if we actually invite and assure that insecurities can show up authentically, because that's a prerequisite for learning. Mm -hmm. If I don't admit that I have a knowledge gap, how can I learn? So I think there's a very close connection only if we have an open mind. And yeah, maybe the humility to show up like that, willingness to learn, acknowledging that there is something to learn, and also curiosity for the others. Hello, listener. Are you tired of listening to my podcast voice praising our sponsor Session Lab in each episode? I think it's time to pass the mic over to you. So if you are as much of a Session Lab fan and user as I am, Please share your experience and praise, and don't be shy of add a sentence of self-promo. Send me your soundbite, and you might hear yourself on the next show, and find your name and URL in the show notes. I'm looking forward to hearing from you.